Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Lord, we, we're, our attention is still on you. Our affection is pouring forth on you. You're center stage. You're the reason that we're here. You are our rabbi. So teach us wonderful things from the word. Would you heal us and would you reveal to us the Lord in new ways? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, I want to talk about what makes us us and uh, what makes us part of the global body of Christ. Uh, I recently read a leadership article on the importance of getting your objective out really quickly and clearly on the front end. It was like the art of brevity. And there was this cool quote in there from Mark Twain. Uh, And Mark Twain once wrote this letter to a friend and in there, I think near the end, he said, if I had more time to write this letter, I would have made it shorter. <laughs> and so um, I want to get it out uh, on the forefront that today. I want to talk about why we do what we do, what makes us us, and it's going to center around the, the message of worship. And, um, and at the end, I want to take communion together and declare that the, the coming of the Lord, remembering the Lord, and declaring that we are of the body of Christ knit together. Amen? Um, here at the upper room, our, our heart posture is an expression of devotion and ministry to God as our, as our primary first goal. It's his presence. The, the presence of the Lord is honored in this room. And, and we, we put our vision on the wall, his presence transforming lives, morning, noon, and night. And, and um, it's in gatherings like this where saints get together and lift his name up, where power, like manifestations of his power are present. And there's, there's healing and revealing and transforming that happens. And so our primary is to bring him the glory, do his name. But there's a secondary, and I would almost call it a byproduct of putting him first, is it's that he restores us inside and out. And so when we praise him, when we put him first, it's, it's certainly not at the expense of loving people. It's actually the exact opposite because, in fact, the most loving thing that we can do for anyone is to teach them how to worship and pray. Because it's, it's in pointing people to Jesus that they're going to find the shepherd of their lives. So they might be in our lives for a season or one Sunday or, or several years, but there's... There's someone who's going to be the shepherd of their soul forever. And so as we, as we magnify and point to Jesus, we are doing the most loving thing that we can possibly do for anyone around us. So foundationally, we find that honoring God's presence allows him to minister to everyone better than we could in our own efforts. So every aspect of our ministry is sacred and it's important, but it's, and it's built upon, it's not but, it's and, and it's built upon the one thing principle. The, this one thing we desire, we wanna see your beauty, Lord, and dwell. And, and th- those are very experiential words, to see and dwell. It means that we are, we are actually viewing the glory of the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords you know, rock of ages, our best friend, the slain lamb, we're viewing his, his beauty and his, and his splendor and we get the hope that we get to do that forever. That's a, that's a foundational hope that is an anchor for our, for our souls. 
So what does it look like when we get together? Pause for dramatic effect. Um, it's like a gumbo pot, y'all. Y'all ever been to a gumbo pot boil? <laughs> so if you can imagine, <laughs> if you can imagine there's like a, a giant gumbo pot in this room and each one of us, we're either carrying an ingredient or we represent an ingredient. And the reason I say gumbo pot, because you never know what in the world that cook is gonna throw in that gumbo pot, right? And so you might come to this gathering and, and be thinking like, oh man, it's like everybody in here is like a vegetable and I'm a crawfish. Like, where's my place? Well, it's in the gumbo pot. <laughs> or you might be coming. <laughs> you might be coming and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm like some sort of spicy meat and everybody in here seems to, well, your place is in. <laughs> Your place is in this gumbo pot because what's happening is like all these different representations, all these different manifestations, all these different people who represent beautiful things about the Lord are being thrown in and this beautiful aroma and flavor. And you're like, oh my gosh, for some reason this gumbo works. I don't know how that guy got in, but it's amazing that he did. Like, like <laughs> and it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's the pastor. That's good, Vince. Thank you. Welcome to the gumbo pot. Welcome to the spiritual potluck. Um, here's a, hey, I want to back this up with the Bible now, okay? So <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14.26 says that, what shall we say then, brethren? Like, when you gather together, one has a teaching or a song, a tongue or an interpretation or a testimony or Esai his dance. How cool is that that Ashley felt like he was supposed to dance? We didn't talk about it, and I went up to Esai and said, get on stage and dance. So thank you, Esai, for bringing your dance. Uh, our, our singers brought spontaneous songs. Uh, uh, Riley, our drummer, brought in, incredible beats from heaven. You know, like, we all, we're all bringing something <laughs> to the spiritual potluck or the gumbo pot today. I'm using a bunch of metaphors about food. It's not like I'm fasting or anything. Um, <laughs> um, so when we gather together, it should look different than a concert or a football game, right? It should look and feel different than like a sales meeting or a board meeting or the PTA or even like a seminar, seminar where you go and hear you know, truths about life from some motivational speaker. There should be something different that marks our gathering, right? And you might not be able to necessarily describe it or, 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 or put your finger on it, but something in your heart leaps, your heart burns because you're hearing the, the, the master, you're hearing the shepherd, you're hearing the words of eternal life. There's something special about the gathering of the saints. So why are you here? I'm asking you, like, why did you wake up on a Sunday morning, some of y'all with multiple kids, we know because the kids department is packed out. Why did you drive across town here? Does anyone want to shout out like why, why you're here this morning? Jesus. 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 <laughs> Amen. There's my prophetess. She's the one that came up. Amen. So expand on that. Jesus. Why? More, more specifically, you're here for Jesus, but what, what does that look like? Maybe, 
don't, you don't have to get too deeply personal, but shout out something that lift burdens, give us freedom, community, delighting in him, gathering around the presence. These are 100% true. And we've all like come to church for those reasons. Sometimes people come to church and historically and biblically people seek out Jesus to be healed by him. And that's okay. That's good. It's not like some selfish reason. If, like, if you can come and, and be healed of things in your soul, come and be healed of things in your body. Biblically, the reasons people follow Jesus were to hear him, to be healed by him, and to worship him. And any reason we gather is a good reason. I mean, our motivations are, <laughs> if you're anything like me, you know that your motivations are rarely 100% pure, okay? Can we just be honest about this? There are varying degrees of like somewhere in between completely selfish, it's just for your glory, Lord. Uh, you know, you, you must increase, I must increase. All for you, all for your glory, all the way to, um, I'm hoping someone gives me 20 bucks so I can buy lunch today. You know, like, <laughs> honestly. And Jesus, <laughs> he says, come to me all. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Learn from me, I'm humble and gentle. You know that a bunch of people followed around Jesus because they wanted a free meal, right? He multiplied a bunch of food and then thousands of people gathered. And he didn't just like say, y'all aren't here just you know, like to hear the amazing like words from heaven, you're working me over for a meal. You know, he didn't say that to them. He, he was like happy that for whatever reason they were there and they could receive from him. How humble and gentle is he? Now, in the process of coming to his presence, I know that our motivations become more and more pure. We, we see more and more of his glory. We are transformed more and more into his likeness. But I want to say to everyone in the room, whether if, if you're here because like you're, you hit rock bottom or you're at the end of your rope or you need desperately something, you're welcome in, in this room. You belong. And if you're here because like you are just a double dipper Holy Ghost roller and you want to give Jesus more praise, you're welcome here, that you, you belong. So we have a high uh, value for ministering to God through worship and prayer. 1 Peter 2.5, uh, it's a great verse on, on what it looks like to form community. It says, um, you yourselves are living stones and being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So who in here is a temple of the living God? I am a temple. Yes, you were bought at a price. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. You don't have a junior Holy Ghost. You have all of Holy Ghost. Like the, you have the power of the Lord of Lords flowing through you as a conduit of heaven. So individually, every single one of us are temples. You could be alone in the middle of nowhere and you are a temple to the living God. But this verse says that we are all living stones being built together also, which means that corporately, we are also a temple. And there's a different kind of glory when all of these representations of Jesus, all these representatives 
And these ambassadors of reconciliation gather in one place. There is, and it should be an uproarious joy and party and mingling and our hearts being knit together and Jesus flowing between us. And it's, it's just a greater display of his glory. Does that make sense? And it takes work to develop friendships and relationships. And I'm speaking to every introvert in the room when I say like the beginning of a friendship sometimes is like, oh my gosh, the small talk. Um, <laughs> but the, there's, there's eternal significance on every one of our, our moments together when we connect face to face. There's eternal significance on us becoming one. Jesus' last prayer was that we would be one. As one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are one. So we, uh, we worship and we pray together. And our, our prayer room is, is central, it's key, it's vital. Um, you know, when, when we fast together, it's not a hunger strike, it's a party in his presence. When we pray together, we're not pleading for something we already have, we're agreeing with what he wants to release from heaven. <laughs> I'll try, Taylor, I'll try to preach. <laughs> so what would it look like if everyone barged into this room and extravagantly, demonstrably worshiped God as if we were already well aware that he is in the room, that he is worth it, and he's worth all of the glory and the praise, and that we would express our immense gratitude for what he's done and who he is and lavishly express our gratitude upon him, you know, gushing our affection on him, you know, as if it were a year's wages, just like Mary poured out. What would it look like if we came in the room and, and, and that was what gripped our hearts? Like, we, we, gotta, we gotta tell him thank you. I gotta, pra- I gotta praise him, I gotta... I know he knows he's worthy, but I want him to know that I know that he's worthy. (laughs) You know, Jesus isn't looking for, um, he's not fishing for compliments. He is well aware of who he is and how awesome he is. The reason we worship is when we come into agreement with how awesome he is, it transforms us into how awesome we are. So our, our founder, Michael Freeland Miller, and his wife, Larissa, came up with this cool acronym to describe kind of like what happens in worship, like in the upper room kind of style. And again, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to recognize, you know, the, the particular gifts that God has placed, the treasures that he's placed in this community. Um, and the acronym that Michael came up with was, over time, was FUEL, which stands for FAITH, Unity, encounter, and liberty. And uh, last Sunday night at our 5 p.m. service, I, um, I, I, g- I gave a more in-depth teaching on what fuel is. And so if you want a more in-depth teaching, it's, it's on the podcast. You can check that out. But like I said, the, the F in fuel stands for faith. Faith is pleasing to God, right? And the reason it's... It's about faith up front is because we believe that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we believe that when we come together, he's authoring faith for things in us individually and in us corporately. And really what what we're after is what he's authoring faith in corporately. 
I know that God has the ability to show up and make you feel like you're the most important person in the room and he, you're the only reason why he showed up. And that's wonderful, but there's also something corporately that he's doing at the same time. He's a great multitasker, right? And so we find out what he's authoring faith in and we sing it. We sing it over and over. We, we, if you were here for the first time, you may have been, just been immediately digging how many times we sing the same lines or you may have been like, is this like time 28 that we've sung the same, same lyric? And we, we sing it over and over because there are things that we get about God through singing that we never get through, think, through thinking. There's something uh, eternally powerful, significant, unexplainable. Scientists can't explain why music and singing does what it does to the human, but it's, it's because it's unexplainable. It's because it's eternal. It's because we were designed. Um, I'm going completely off my notes here, but you know, uh, Ephesians 2.10, it says, um, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That word workmanship, do we have any Greek nerds in the room and know what it means? Poema. Poema, for we are God's poetry. We're not God's robots. We're not God's servants. Like we're not, you know, he no longer even calls us servants, but friends, we are God's poetry, which is when we sing, the reason it reverberates and resonates with us is because it's what we're made of. He sang us into existence. Beloved, the makeup of your personality and giftings and desires and your quirkiness, it is way more poetry than it is science, right? You're God's poetry, you're his favorite song to sing. You're his favorite book to read. Which is why our songs are so, so important. So we sing, sometimes we sing these lines over and over because it's sinking deeper and you're singing, you're worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. You deserve all the praise or whatever I sang today like the, with the, you know, every hallelujah goes to Yeshua. And, or, and when you start singing like that worthy line or that holy line over and over, it begins to like wash over you in a way where you start to understand what worthiness really is and what holiness really is. And as you're singing it over and over, you don't even realize it, but this byproduct of worshiping him and telling him of his holiness is changing you. And so we come into unity. We sing those songs over and over again. That's the you in fuel, faith and unity, encounter and liberty. And so the, the you of unity, how, how beautiful, pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, it's like oil flowing down the beard of Aaron. So that's powerful. And it says in that, in that, in that uh, Psalm, Psalm 133, it says, the Lord commands a blessing. So like there is special blessing or impartation or outpouring when we come together in unity. Recently, I was given a vision where these worshipers came together and each one of us, we were like a bird and a beautiful bird. And in, when worship started up, I could see like in the spirit, each bird is like colorful, ornately designed and flying around and singing song. I know it's very swirly, but, um, and it's beautiful. But then a, a spontaneous song came out and we all unified around this song and suddenly all the birds faced the same direction and were flying the same. And, and then started mirroring, like doing the exact same synchronized moments, movements 
when this unifying song was released, when everyone joined in unity in this song, and then, and then it looked as if the, the sky was filled with one of those flocks of a million birds that can move in synchronization. Scientists can't explain how they do that either. Those huge migrating flocks that fill the sky with like whirling, you know, whirlwinds and, and you know, alleviating waves and whatnot. Like, I don't even know if that's a word, alluvial, yes. So what I'm saying is there's so much glory and beauty in you as a worshiper, releasing your song. There's a different kind of glory when we all do the, like sing the same song, when we all come in unity. It fills the sky with a display for his splendor. So uh, unity, just remember birds and beards, okay? <laughs> Synchronized birds and oil on the beards, Aaron's beard, birds and beards, okay? I, I can make acronyms all day. <laughs> okay, and that leads to encounter. What, I mean, what happens when we all to come together and we're singing about his glory is we start to encounter like glorious things about him. And y'all, when we get touched by the Lord, what happens to us? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes. We get freed up. <clears throat> and liberty is a really great acronym for freedom and it prevents us from spelling the word foof. <laughs> Y'all, it's okay to laugh. Unless it's not funny. Just tell me it's not funny. <laughs> okay, so uh, there's another acronym that we use uh, at Upper Room to describe some of the things that we do in worship, and it's TWI. How many of y'all have heard of TWI? TWI stands for Thanksgiving, Worship, and Intercession. So today, there's just a really prophetic uh, stream that we were all in because the worship team, they come in, they don't know what I'm preaching on, but they stepped right into thanking and praising the Lord right off the bat. And this beautiful, you know, the beautiful dance and praise. And I know a lot of us were experiencing, you know, intimate moments of worship. And I really do believe experientially, I'm not saying like this is in the Bible, but experientially, like it's almost as if the higher our praise goes, the deeper our worship or intimacy goes in those moments. Um, it's almost like we're, we're pouring out our thanks and our praise and there comes this moment where he like sneaks in, he's like, I love you too. And you're like, you do, you really love me. And you, you break down, Vincent is famous for this. He'll, he'll be singing a line to the Lord and then the Lord will sing it back to him like, I love, I love, I love your presence. We're singing that to the Lord, but what happens when you sing it a dozen times and, and suddenly you see the face of the Lord and he, and he sings it at you. I love, I love, I love your presence, Ryan. <laughs> I love, I love, there's no one like you, Caitlin. You know, he's singing it back to us and that fearfully and wonderfully made reality washes over us again and we realize that we are dear to the Lord. So we start off with Thanksgiving. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I spent most of last weekend at a, a little conference of songwriters called Song Lab. And um, Meredith Malden, who leads Song Lab, she was our, uh, for, a, for many years, she was Upper Room Dallas's worship director. Meredith is accredited with a lot of the songs that we sing. Uh, she, I believe she helped write that song with Cody, the, um, uh, for always being good, thank you. Um, 
And so I was at this uh, event with her last, last weekend, and um, she's written so many uh, songs, um, and sometimes these songs came out of necessity, because she wanted to, the church to sing thank you to the Lord, but she couldn't find any songs that said thank you. How crazy is that? She wanted to sing high praises to the Lord, but she couldn't find hardly any songs to open up a worship set that were like straight up praise songs. Um, and, so she, and so she wrote them. And thank God she did, because some of those songs have just been the, the, the conduit or the catalyst that have dramatically impacted me. So many incredible moments from the Lord for millions of people. I would literally say millions of people. Um, so she wrote these songs because um, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's Psalm 100, right? 100 verse four. So if we enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise, wouldn't it stand to reason that it's possible that our soul's awareness or experience of him stays in the outer courts if we don't thank and praise him? And I'm not saying that there's some separation, like, but I, I'm saying that... Um, our, our experience or our awareness of him is definitely different if we're not entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This verse is really important to Upper Room. It's, it's the way that we choose to worship God and continually start off our gatherings. Um, we believe that it pleases him and we also believe that it opens us up to experience him. Because let's face it, like, when it comes down to it, we've gone to a lot of church services or gatherings. I'm speaking to myself. I wish I had a mirror right now. I've gone to many church services where I didn't encounter God at all, and I want to encounter God. Amen? Ephesians 2.6 says that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, and so we're, we're in his presence. We are mystically joined to him right now, and he never leaves or never forsakes, Right? But there is something very different when his presence becomes tangible, experiential. And I believe that scripture is full of, of ways that open us up to realize that he's here. Paul prays that, Lord, would you open the eyes of their hearts? He doesn't pray, Lord, would you bring them into your presence? Or, or come Holy Spirit, he's praying, would you open the eyes of their hearts? Because when the eyes of our hearts are open, we realize that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above all, you know? So thankfulness changes our perceptions. Gratitude makes us aware of where we're already dwelling. Gratitude isn't just attitude, it is altitude. So silly, what a preacher joke. Okay, um, we've covered Thanksgiving. So we, we thank the Lord, we praise the Lord, and then we enter into these worship moments where worship becomes deeply personal and rich. Psalm 147 says, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. So in, in worship, we're, let me say, in, in thanksgiving and praise, we are honoring him. He's authoring faith about thing, things about his nature. We're saying you're holy and you're worthy. And then it switches to these moments of worship where it's like an exchange between father and son or father and children or bridegroom and bride or creator and creator, creator and created. This exchange begins to happen where, you're, where you were singing you're holy and you're worthy. And, and then it becomes 
this conversation and he's healing things in you and he's confirming things in you and, and you get to have these intimate conversations with God as if he did show up for only you. See, we, we magnify what we sing about. You know the verse where it says, come let us magnify the Lord together? Does that mean that we can make God bigger? What does a magnifying glass do? It doesn't make things bigger. It makes our perception of him everything. It fills our perception. We can zoom in on elements of his nature. Oh, come, let us magnify the Lord together. Let's sing songs to him. There's something about when we sing to the Lord, when we worship the Lord, when we praise the Lord, it's like putting a, a magnifying glass and we're seeing you know, aspects of his nature that maybe we never saw before or we're being reminded of things that we need to be reminded of him. And then inevitably, there comes this shift. So we've entered with thanksgiving, we've hit these deep moments of worship, and then there's like this shift where like, you've gotten the heart of the Lord and the heart of the Lord is an outstretched arm, right? And you start thinking, oh my God, Lord, pour out your love on my city or that family member. And a, a key phrase for, of mine when I enter intercession is I often pray, Lord, do for them what you've done for me. Or do, do for them right now what you're doing in here. And it, and it echoes that, that the prayer of Jesus, like let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we're tapping into heaven and, and we're experiencing the atmosphere of heaven, we can't help ourselves. We're gripped with the same compassion and desire for other people and we start praying into it. And it's beautiful. It's all part of this, this dance of the gathering of the saints. You know, Jesus came and uh, when he entered the temple, during that famous uh, cleansing the temple scene, he said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And then there's people remember that, that famous Psalm, you know, zeal for your house will consume me. And they're attributing that Psalm prophetically to Jesus because zeal for the father's house has consumed him in that moment. And he almost looks unhinged because he's so fiery about this thing. And before I, I, I really dive any deeper into intercession, I wanna just offer my take on this scene, if you'll uh, do me that honor. Um, when Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple, does Jesus have a problem with business in church? Does he have a problem with coffee shops in church? Does he have a problem with us selling a hoodie, about merchandise? Does he have a problem with bake sales? Does he have a problem with businessmen? Are businessmen you know, relegated to a lower status than ministers? No, not at all. He has no problem with business. So what, what was his problem in that moment? So if you remember that the way that the, they were worshiping the Lord is they would you know, raise a dove or a goat or whatever they, they needed to raise and to, to bring in as an offering, you know, a, a cleansing of their conscience and an offering to the Lord. But they came, in, in those days, people could just walk up to the temple, buy a dove, you know, for a couple bucks, sacrifice it and walk away. What upset Jesus is that worship became a cheap exchange. Mm. 
I think something that would make Jesus figuratively turn over tables right now is if we let our worship team do the worship for us. And we think, I don't have to come prepared with my own thing to offer the Lord because they're just gonna carry me on into the presence. Sorry. This is not karaoke. I went to a ministry school called Morningstar University. Get this, big church, big stage, incredible like worship presence worldwide, and uh, you couldn't lead a song that you didn't write. <laughs> I know, what? You couldn't lead a song that you didn't write. You know what happened? Everybody wrote amazing songs. Their own testimonies came out and there was so much more power on it. Even if it wasn't technically like a, a better song or, or more poppy or whatever, there was their own testimony and so there was extreme passion on it. And there was anointing on it. There was a breaker anointing when their own song came out. Y'all ever heard of John Mark McMillan? Josh Baldwin, Jonathan David Helser, Melissa Helser, uh, who else am I missing? Kim Walker, William Matthews, they were all at Morningstar when I was there. They developed their own song and they sang it to the Lord. They wouldn't let someone bring a pigeon for them. Jesus continually lives to make intercession for us. This is Hebrews 7.25. So when we've thanked the Lord and then we enter worship and then we enter intercession, we're actually entering into the eternal ministry of Jesus. Now, let me, let me back up. I, I don't know if Jesus is literally, technically praying continually out loud um, because it, it seems like that would make it hard for him to joke around. <laughs> or like visit saints on earth, which we know he has a habit of doing. Like Jesus does a lot of things. I know he's really great at multitasking. So maybe at the, you know, maybe there is intercession going on and it, sometimes out loud, something, you know, continually in his mind, whatever. But what I actually, uh, what I think is that the act of him in his incarnation, laying down his life, his resurrection and his ascension, purchasing many people by his blood is such an act that it will continually make intercession. It is shouting a better word forever, his blood in the ground. His blood is literally shouting from creation right now. These are, these are all metaphors, I know. They're helpful for us to understand the unsearchable you know, depths of his love. You know, when we thank God and worship God, inevitably we find ourselves reaching out for others just like God reached out. So when we gather together, it should look a lot like Acts 2.42. This is when there's this crazy power um, <laughs> just after the outpouring uh, of the Holy Spirit. And let me say something like the outpouring happened when the ingathering happened. There's an ingathering of saints together and an outpouring of the Lord from that place. An ingathering brought an outpouring. But Acts 2.42 uh, shows us what the, that early church looked like. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Can I have the worship team come up? I mentioned at the start of the teaching that we're gonna be taking communion together. Um, and we took communion last week. We wanna take communion as often as makes sense, as often as possible. Uh, because we believe that there's something sacred and holy. If you need a, a cup, Casey's got a, a bucket of communion cups and wafers. And, and the reason we handed them out during the, the meet and greet, the, the, as Alexis has called it, the gringle time, the greet and mingle, it's because I wanted, I wanted you to see it on the front end. I wanted it maybe to even be in your hand. I wanted you to have a moment to meditate on what communion is as we're leading up to the apex of our gathering, which is the Eucharist, celebrating what Jesus has done and remembering him until he comes. Communion is a combination of the words common and union. So our common union is that we have been united in the body of Christ and his blood flows through us. And when we, when we take of the, uh, the bread, we're proclaiming that we are mystically joined to his body forever. In Colossians 1.17, it says that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, which is the church. And so all things being held together in Jesus means that we are mystically in Christ. And when we take of his broken body together, we are proclaiming it, not only to ourselves as a reminder, but we're proclaiming it to all of the spiritual realm that I am Jesus is. It is spiritual warfare. It is community warfare. It is a proclamation of loyalty. It is a proclamation of thankfulness for what he's done and it's remembering him. So just break, break the bread and look at it. Break the wafer. You probably, have, you probably have two pieces now. So what would it look like if you were to, if, if you were to remember it? You'd, you'd fit it together, right? Are we all broken people being fit together right now? Are we all living stones being built together to be a holy dwelling place where we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and after he gave thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Every time you take this, take and eat it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take his body. You know, the first time that Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he lost thousands of members. It's in John 6. It says in John 666 that many of his disciples left and followed him no longer. And then he turned to his disciples and said, do you guys want to leave me now too? And Peter chimes in and says, to whom shall we go? 
this is my family. To whom, to whom shall I go? You're, you're a spiritual father. You're a shepherd. You're a leader. You're a best friend. To whom shall I go? And then he says, you have the words. Only you have the words of eternal life. I think of uh, Jesus' words like wine. You know, the first miracle of Jesus, he turns water into wine. And we get to realize just what kind of God we're following. But this is the power of his new covenant. Covenant. This is a reminder that our sins have been washed away. They're separated us as far as the east is from the west. And this is the power of Jesus. This is the, the blood that gives the body its life. So when we become the body, remembered together, put back together, we get the power of his blood. So Jesus, we honor you today. We thank you for your blood poured out for us. And as we take this, we remember what you've done.